Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. We're back. It's 2018 and we have more exciting interviews for you with some awesome folks. Some of these guys, you, our favorite listeners, have requested. So thank you so much for opening our eyes to the great people from this continent of Africa that are doing amazing things. As you know, Africa State of Mind is all about great Africans doing amazing things on the continent of Africa or elsewhere in the world, but for the motherland Afrique. Before we get onto this very first episode of 2018, I did want to make a comment or a statement with regards to the recent statement that was made about Africa, Haiti and other developing nations. First of all, it is not what they call us that matters. It is the name that we respond to more than anything else. Second of all, to quote Michelle Obama, when, when they, they go, go low, low we, go, we high. go high. All we need to do is continue on our path to greatness because without a doubt, I do believe that 2018 is going to be the year that people really see what it is that Africa is all about. With all that said, shall we get on to this first episode? Let's go. On this episode of Africa State of Mind, we caught up with Musa Kalenga, who's an author, a marketer, and entrepreneur, and he spoke to us about the audacity of ambition by African youth. What I really enjoyed about this conversation with Musa Kalenga is that he truly seems to understand the science of how it is that we can market um, the continent of Africa a lot better, and also how it is that we as African youth and just Africans in general can rise up to the occasion and the time in history that we are right now. Trust me, this conversation is really going to blow your mind, so you need to listen to that. Straight after that, we jetted off to Uganda, my home country, and we had a conversation with Sudanese-born Omnia Shokat, who's the co-founder of Andaria, which is a Sudanese youth online magazine. She's a top-class Africa state of mind being, and the reason that I say this is this. Obviously, it doesn't matter where in the world you are, you've obviously heard about a lot of the different things that are happening around Sudan, and yes, there's a lot of pain, and yes, there's a lot of not amazing things that are happening but Omnia has had the courage and she continues to have the courage to really rise up and show show the beauty um, of the of Sudan and the entire region so I think that you're really going to be blown away by that but let me not keep talking about the guests let me allow them to tell their stories let's start the show It's so awesome to have my next guest um, in the studio for Africa State of Mind. I think for I've known Musa Kalenga for quite a long time. You're originally from Zambia, right? Correct. But he's just really been, you know, making great strides um, in South Africa and around um, Africa as a whole. I think that in this day and age, whenever we turn on the radio or you know watch the news or whatever the case may be, and we hear all these, we hear a lot of stories about Africa, and we hear stories about people who are not great leaders, and you know all of these horrific stuff and it's always refreshing whenever somebody has a conversation with Musa Kalenga he literally is somebody who always sees like the glass half full you always see beyond what it is that we're going through now and you really are a visionary so it's such an honor to have you in Africa's state of mind he is a marketer entrepreneur mentor author strategist is like you've worked with everybody I could call names of all the corporates that you've helped he's he's done stuff for everybody from Facebook when they came to um, Africa originally and he really helped them with their strategy you've done stuff with Nedbank you know we've done talks with them just everywhere every time I turn and there's something important to do with Africa there's Musa's face I'm like oh that's where my paycheck went 
like that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But Musa, welcome um, to the podcast yet again. The I want to get into an article that you wrote, but I was just so surprised that with all of this stuff and all of the seriousness and all of your really posh way of speaking, you know, <laughs> you love hip hop. <laughs> you wrote an entire thing about it, you yes. know. Yeah, that's so you, right. So you actually so let's let's talk a little bit about um the article that you wrote um yeah. you know the audacity of ambition yeah no yeah. I mean I, I I'm an avid hip hop listener uh, no listen 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 <laughs> hip hop listeners don't say avid Use another word. <laughs> I'm kidding I'm down for the hip hop <laughs> yeah um yeah so I, I I essentially I was asked to speak at uh, at Youth Day this mm. year um mm. and I was trying to figure out the right way to position what I was going to be speaking to a room full of young whole flown entrepreneurs about mm. and uh, something that's quite close to my heart is this notion um, around being audacious about the stuff that you do so mm. I, you know, I borrowed from uh, uh, from a track that Jay-Z wrote essentially mm. and the lyrics um, essentially start out with him painting a really like bleak picture of his environment growing up in the streets where mm. uh, things were not so great and uh, he just essentially speaks about how rough it was where he came from and then in the middle of the song he goes put me anywhere on God's green earth and I'll triple my worth you yeah. know um, and I drew so many parallels to that because Africa is very similar you know we, we don't come from necessarily the most rosy backgrounds a lot of people come from the hood come from townships come from um, villages uh, but the mentality should be that you know despite all of that uh, you, you can put anybody on anywhere on the earth and, and they'll triple their worth and for me that was what the audacity of ambition is about is that you don't really need to ask anybody to have ambition you don't need anybody's permission to get uh, to get what you want um, and I think the mentality of a lot of young people is still that they're kind of looking for it to be okay for them to be amazing you know um, and I think that kind of song as well as the mentality around youth day and the energy that I'm starting to see with uh, uh, young Africans is really kind of this audacity to be able to do what you need to do because you need to do it um, and not ask for permission so that's essentially what the article was about and obviously I mean I always try and you know position stuff as a clarion call to just say you know it is okay to dream uh, bigger than what you know it's okay to think larger than what you've been exposed to um, but you need to do so in such a way that you know exactly where you're going and where you're at so uh, so that's what the article was about I really like that I actually had a whole lot of questions but I realized I can ask you anything about Africa and we're just going to run with it <laughs> so um, you know I also wanted to ask you like because um, you know the, the guest that I, I interviewed um, earlier on the podcast Amosa um, said basically we had a conversation around this whole the parallels between African American culture and the black and African people in general mm. you know what do you think it is that you know with the success that the African American that, that black culture has had with impacting the rest of the world when we look at hip hop specifically what do you think that young Africans can learn about what it is that we have about our culture that is exportable to the rest of the world? There's a lot, you know, and I think, you know, let me start by saying, I think the world right now is looking to Africa for mm. all the solutions. If you look at mainstream music, if you look mm. at fashion, if you look at architecture, if you look at anything, mm. um, the world is pretty much looking to Africa for those solutions. Mm. The challenge is that we won't rise to the ch- uh, to, to, to the occasion if mm. we haven't re-engineered the way we think about things. Mm. Um, and I speak about these three phases, essentially, about slavery, um, essentially at some point have been being about someone taking your physical space and constraining it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changed over time, and then slavery was not necessarily about physical stra- uh, space and constraining, just mental. Just mm. now controlling how you think and what you're able to think and that was the parameters around which you were able to, to progress. Um, Bob Marley wrote a lot of songs about yeah. this. Marvin Gaye speaks about this yeah. a lot. Um, but I think slavery in our modern context has actually gone further than that. It's become institutional, sure. right? Mm. Um, so now we don't understand sometimes why we're all on the same page in inverted commas but we're not progressing. Sure. You know, I often use the same example of my own son. He goes to school um, and we put them in private schools and we're like, yeah, he's in private school 
which means we've done our thing. And then my son comes home and he's like, Dad, I'm white. And I'm like, what do you mean you're white? And I look around, I'm like, where does he get this reference point? And then I look at the school that he goes to, and in his school, he's got the scenario is that all his teachers are white and all the teacher's assistants are black, right? So you don't have to tell a child that there's a a relationship of power here. And that's what I mean about institutional uh, slavery, right? And I think we need to be aware of it before we can undo it. Um, So if we have that in mind, and then we start looking at the context which you're speaking about, about um, us being at this intersection in time where we can either make it amazing or we're going to lose it altogether. Um, It starts from us acknowledging that there are these institutional things that are set up that Mm. are fundamentally not about us being great. Mm. And if we don't undo those things or build new systems, we're actually going to be stuck in the same rut. Um, So I think that the big thing for Africans that that are trying to position themselves in a global space um, is think about that because I think it causes a lot of frustration for young people because you're just not understanding why you're not progressing. Mm. You're the best at your game, but things are just not coming together. Mm. Um, And you may not necessarily be mentally uh, enslaved, but the the, the physical system that you work in is enslaved. So I've got a lot of respect for people that actually just completely change the game, their own ecosystems, their own value chains, their own entire uh, industries, because that's really the only way we're going to start to drive a change. People like Aleko Aleko Dangote, um, guys that are starting to realize that, you know, for me to sell cement, I need to own the trucks that put the cement in the the factories. For me to build the factory, I need to build the road which the truck moves on. For me to build the road, I need to, so that's how he's thinking. And if you're not thinking about the ecosystem like that, all those spaces that you're going to go into, you're going to be enslaved. So that's how we're going to break it. You know, when you spoke about the ecosystem, I'm going to reference Victoria's Secret, which is so random. (laughs) 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 But I'll explain it now. You know, Victoria's Secret recently had one of their fashion shows. I think it was their annual fashion show. And it was all over kind of social media where there were references to um, some some beadwork and stuff from South Africa, reference to what is happening with the Maasai oh, culture yeah. and all of that. It was yeah. like such a big thing, you know. Mm. And then there was also reference to um, the... the um, the Latin American community with regards to their culture and mm. colors and all of that. And mm. they did use a lot of models who were from Africa and from the, you know, Latin American countries and all of that stuff. Mm. But there was a, a big question is now being asked by everybody. And even now with the musicians doing well and, and all of this stuff, is it a case? And, you know, people like a lot of big artists wearing African stuff or, you know, all of that stuff. Mm. Is it a, for you? Do you see it as a case of um, African appreci- uh, cultural appreciation or appropriation, you know, and also, Somebody actually put a post out where they say that this is all great, but the challenge is that we're not in control of the institutions. So mm. we're not in control of the narrative, mm. you know, of our culture that's going out there. So mm. when when a, when somebody wins an award in some international show, they still are not, you know, there's still not enough Africans who are in control of that to be sure mm. to tell the African story. Mm. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. what are your thoughts on that? I think at a very superficial level, it, 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 I think it's it's... The, the want and the desire is to appreciate Africa, mm. right? But because of the underlying factors which we've spoken about, the systems and the economies mm. that sit behind it, it ends up become appropriate, mm. uh, becoming appropriation mm. because ultimately in your quest to appreciate, you're mm. creating um, an industry, you're creating attention, you're creating hype. And if we were direct beneficiaries of that, then I'd say absolutely, it's appreciation and that's all it is. But because the underlying system still takes the money outside of our country and into another place and it cannot, it can't be anything else but appropriation. Um, and once again, coming back to the to the statement before, until we own that value chain and we can dictate that if you're going to appreciate our culture, it's going to be on these terms, then it's a different story. Um, I often speak a lot about VC, which I, VC funding, which I think is just a, a, a term for really kind of modern uh, foreign aid, for lack of a better word, you know, <laughs> flowing into our countries and, you know, all these startups are getting yeah. all this VC funding. And I think it's just another crutch yeah. um, because once wow. again, it's, it's a way of saying, yeah, we're going to support you. But if you look at the investors that are putting their money into your business, uh, number one, they've got no 
no interest, no vested interest in Africa progressing. Um, so they're essentially here to sponsor you so they can extract value. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, if you look at their long-term intention, it's never to reinvest the, everything back in, mm-hmm. in, in Africa. So once again, the system is not set up. So you'd think it's a great thing. Um, direct foreign investment, VC funds, cultural appreciation. But if you look at the underlying systems that are supporting that or that are making it possible, the beneficiaries are still not African. So mm-hmm. that is where the problem is. Sure. I really mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And now just with regards to, you know, when you say that, um, you know, obviously Africa's got like a host of like people who are like really wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it reminds me of a conversation we had with Chris Bishop in his book. He basically spoke to some of the wealthiest people in Africa. Mm-hmm. How much of a role do you feel that they need to play with regards to investing back specifically into the culture of Africa? Because yeah. I think that investment is often seen in terms of like, you know, the in inverted commas, the serious thing. Yeah. But it's like almost globally they've understood that selling your culture, so to speak, and mm. packaging it is a way of getting tourism in. True. How much of a role do you feel that, you know, people who are who have this immense amount of wealth, you yeah. know, they should do you think it's something that's like they should invest in and how do they even go about it? You yeah. know, because Nollywood is apparently worth fifty billion US dollars, that's what somebody said, but then people are like how do you count it? So, you know, that whole thing of like, how do we, how do we make that system work? Yeah. You know, with regards to, so we're in control of that narrative. Yeah. Look, I agree completely. I think, yes, those, those are wealthy need to invest in, 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 in Africa, though Africans that are wealthy need to invest back here. I think, it, it's short-sighted to think that only Africans will be the ones that can get value from Africa, but I do think it has to be led by African people that are, that can invest. Um, the other thing is that if you think about context, yes, there's a lot of wealthy Africans, but in the context of our the population of Africa, there aren't actually that many. Um, so it then puts kind of the responsibility of the billions on a few hundred people, right? And I think that's where it kind of gets a little bit skewed, right? So yes, people have got a lot of money in Africa, but it's not possible for Patrice Monsepa to fund every single thing that comes out of mining, and that seems to be innovative. Um, and I think that's where the problem is. Is I think a lot of effort is placed um, and a lot of strain is placed on them to be able to support the ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, I think there'll be a cap as to what they can do. Mm-hmm. But what I do believe is that despite having African funds um, to support African ideas, in a global world, you can actually get global funds from anywhere. What is important is that we still dictate the terms on which those funds nice. operate in our continent, yeah. right? So the principle of our global trade flows is that you can get money from anywhere. But where it gets skewed is when that money is now dictating how it operates in your ecosystem. That's where I think there's a problem. So I think on a fundamental level, yes, African billionaires, African you know investors should invest in Africa, but I think that's a, it's short term. Um, really, if we're going to unlock funds, we're saying, how do we get money from the Asian markets, but how do we dictate how that money is used in Africa to be able to drive the African agenda and not the other way around? Um, and that way we get the best of both worlds because it's going to be a lot of pressure for you know the few hundred billionaires that, that can afford to invest to be able to save in inverted commas our continent. Um, the other thing is I I've, I've come to understand that there is no shortage of money. Um, you yeah. know, that's generally not At the all. issue, right? <laughs> the, the, the issue is accessing the network that can, that can mm-hmm. unlock that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, because Africa is kind of the, you know, the, the blonde and blue-eyed boy, excuse the reference, um, everybody is looking to Africa to invest yeah. their money. Um, the challenge, once again, is that who's having the conversation around the responsibility and the social narrative around what that investment means, not now, but in five years and ten years' time. So that's the important discussion. Okay, that's awesome. Musa, just, I'm looking at you funny because I want to know what school you went to so I can talk like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm like, I think I went to a really good school, but I don't think my teachers were as nice. What school did I go to? Now, now I know why you're getting those checks. Now, oh, and now you know, right? Yeah, no, because like, literally I was just like, whoa, I was like, leave. This is just like, because if you lose one word... <laughs> 
Ali, you make me laugh, man. <laughs> yeah. So, but Musa, honestly, thank you so much for spending time with us on Africa's State of Mind. Anytime. Just you, you just said that you, you know, before we let you go, you've launched a few pro- um, projects. Are mm. you allowed to speak about them? Are you not? Absolutely. Are you hanging out with like? Are you doing something with Obama? Tell me the truth. Don't lie. <laughs> if you do, call me. You know? Yeah, no, Obama's hanging out in the cut. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna pop around. Um, <laughs> no, not yet. He'll be calling us soon. Um, <laughs> we've yeah, we've launched a couple of different things, yeah. right? So I left Facebook in January. To yeah. try and change the world Because that wasn't where I was going to do it from mm. um, And we've launched An education technology platform Called Clock Which allows oh, anybody nice. To teach anything um, wow. At the core of that Is that we're trying to unlock uh, What we call um, Institutional knowledge As well as Indigenous knowledge yeah. So um, if you think That you're the best Sangoma With the best remedies For medicine You've got a platform Where you can go and teach that If you think you're the best teacher Or even just the best Basketball player There's a platform Where you can do that from now So we launched Clock About three months ago mm. I got about 800 teachers Using it And a bunch wow. of corporates That are signing up and so that's going really well mm-hmm. and then the second platform we've launched is called Minute which is an ad tech platform for small medium businesses mm-hmm. so if you think about anybody who's ever tried to create a Facebook or a Google ad and has come unstuck um, our platform is using machine learning and uh, algorithms to be able to make that super simple for small businesses mm-hmm. um, so those are the two two businesses that we launched and then the others are our client facing platforms so okay. I won't talk about them <laughs> alright thank you so much Musa I really yeah I'm like the way you speak I'm like you just need to tell me what school you went to <laughs> Okay. No, but that's a real that's a real thing because yeah. I try really hard. Yeah, really to do and it, and then and then you're like using like it's not just the words, it's like the pauses and the phrasing, and, it, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, oh. <laughs> you must tell that to my wife. <laughs> She's forever telling me to shut up. So. <laughs> You need to tell her that. You should be, you should be like, no, you know, I really, I speak well. And yeah. eloquently, but At least said I must keep on talking. You must keep on talking. But Musa Kalinga, it's awesome okay. to have you in Africa State of Mind. You definitely are an epitome of what this podcast is all about. And just continue doing what you do. And really, really, yeah. really, really, yeah. if you do anything with Obama and you don't call me, really, really, <laughs> see, I've got a bit of like Uganda in me. No, or no, a lot no. of it. You'll be the first one I call. You'll be the first person I call. Don't say those when Obama things calls me, I'll be like, I'll send you a screen grab and I'll say, yo, it's on right now. And then you better come through. Okay. <laughs> you better come. Don't disappoint no, me. No, 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 no. Please, it doesn't matter where I am. I'll yeah. be like, oh, I'll be there in five minutes. Yeah, don't make sure it happens. Musa, congratulations and thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, ma'am. Good cool. to see you again. Good yeah? to see you too. All right. Thanks so much to Musa for coming to our Africa State of Mind studios. Such a great soul. He promised to call me if Obama ever reaches out to him. I'm definitely going to hold him to that. Now let's check out this great chat with the awesome Omnia. I feel most African countries, especially those that have been embroiled in conflict, um, with regards to their narrative, the story is always the same. Sometimes we forget that even within all of the challenges that a country or a continent could be having, there is always a situation where there's beauty and great culture and people who are there who want to celebrate their country's stories. To quote Chimamanda Adichie Ngozi, she says that there is a danger of one narrative. The Sudans, namely Sudan and South Sudan, are one region where their story has only been told from a place of pain not only globally but unfortunately within the African continent 
Andrea, did I say it right? Andrea. Andrea, I like the way you said, is a bilingual yeah. Ara- Arabic <laughs> and English digital magazine um, that basically shows the contemporary side of the Sudans. Um, they cover everything from the Sudan Independent Film Festival to rap in Sudan, art, literature, conversations around women and beauty, and the very real issues that contributors talk about. So today I'm so excited to be having a conversation with the founder of Andrea, Om- Omnia Shakwat. Did I say it right? I really tried to practice. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It happens. Uh, Omnia Shokat. Shokat. Okay. Well, now, I mean, I'm going to yeah, have your... Maybe de- my middle name is easier. No, 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 no. We have to use your, your proper African names. We definitely have to. So I'm going to be, like, messaging you all the time. You can voice note me how to greet and everything so that I can become properly, like, Sudanese. <laughs> That's okay because I'm learning how to be Ugandan and I think I'm, I'm like, getting good at it. I yeah. think I'm, like, Five weeks, so yeah, really rubbing on to me. Oh, wow, awesome. Now, Omnia, firstly, congratulations on being listed among the top nine women in tech in Africa. That's really amazing. For you, what does it feel like? You know, when you, how did you feel when you heard that? And also, how important do you think it is for the, for the story of Sudan? Thank you so much, first of all, for having me and for the really cool introduction. You, you know, you went through a website and you know our story, so you really know the pain. Uh, point that kind of like launched this project, which is actually a more of a joyous project, mm. but we do build on pain. I really like what you said there. Um, it was actually a surprise to know that I was nominated like to the top 10 uh, to some nine women innovators in Africa. I, they had done the research, they haven't reached out to me. So it was a nice surprise to just see my name up there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's particularly important because the storytelling industry or you know it's not it's not even media anymore it's storytelling mm-hmm. um it's the one that we operate in it really doesn't get that much traction in the startup industry because it's mostly like fintech and agri-tech and ai and all these like super super cool things but storytelling kind of lags behind there's not enough startups doing that i know amazing ones out there in the continent like honor stories really really cool from tanzania and there's just not enough of us out there to be listed among nine mm. top, top ten, top, uh, sorry, nine innovators. That's pretty cool for storytelling. I think that's, you know, the coolest thing. But, like, for me to be there, it's like, yeah, Sudan and stuff, and I made it to list. That's always been the point. We never made it to any cool list. It's always been, you know, top of corruption, yeah. top of this <laughs> and that. That's negative. And, and, yeah, it works towards what we're trying to do, which is changing the narrative about when you hear Sudan and stuff, and I definitely and negative image right away. Now, I, you know, I'll, I'll be very honest because my thing is that I always want to be honest. You know, like I've, I've had the opportunity to travel like a lot around the continent and, and, you know, and I have friends from all over. But literally it was when I went on to you guys' digital magazine and I read up on all the work that you guys were doing and everything that I thought, you know what? I've never actually thought of taking a holiday to Sudan. Like, I've never actually thought of, like, there being cool things to do. So, I mean, just in the time that I've been researching and everything, I think that, yeah, you guys have definitely given a different face to um, Sudan, which is important. But but now you've lived in, obviously you were born in Sudan, you've lived in the UAE, Qatar, Libya, Egypt, Netherlands, the States. I think you studied biology, if I'm not mistaken, you know. But I'm sure, like, everywhere that yeah. you go, you, you often, you know, when people ask you where you're from and you say Sudan, and the responses can possibly be quite interesting, if not, you know, to a degree, perhaps maybe hurtful or misconceptions. What are the kind of responses that you get from people um, and, you know, in terms of the mindset that people have when they hear Sudan? 
You know, when you say you never thought about going to Zan for a holiday, that, that makes total sense because we don't really market ourselves as a holiday destination. Mm. So there's not much going on about our pyramids, which were kind of like there the whole time, but no one really talks about them that much. We have great camping. We have a beautiful Red Sea that's almost pristine. All these like super, super like devoted divers go there. No one really knows about it because they do it. So sea diving and then it's not for everybody. And that's kind of uh, like on us, that's, that's a mistake on us. It's a, it's a fall fuel from our side, but it's an institutional problem. It's not just like people not talking about tourism. It's that we don't even do internal tourism on our Like we don't, mm. exactly, we don't exactly travel around for tourism. But it's picking up. I'm seeing a lot of like young people who are leading tourist operations um, companies that are like promoting that, you know, with the cool videos, with the cool photos. It's getting there. Mm. Um, we do definitely need to speak to our African neighbors and African friends to just like have them come there. It's a completely different experience from, for example, Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania. Mm. You guys look completely different from us. Mm. Our terrain is more desert. Uh, but that's another point. So, you know, we're working on it. Uh, we've actually dedicated a whole section called Travel um, that we'd love to kind of push more content through, make it more colorful. You know, there's so much to see and so much to do. But yeah, you should totally come, by the way. Yeah, no, I will come. And, and I, we have to be there. To say, well, you, you'll probably be there anyway. So I'm going to come and I'll be like, yeah, I have my tour guide. <laughs> I'm actually, it's actually seriously yeah. on, on my list to do. And I also just think it was amazing because I'm like somebody who I, I love hip hop. And it's just, it's amazing when I hear it happening all around the continent. I just never knew that there was rap in Sudan. That for me was like, what? You know, you literally like opened yeah. my, yeah, you opened my ears to that. Now, you know, I, I, there is a friend of mine who I have who's, uh, uh, she's, she's Sudanese, but she's based out in, in, the UAE right and we had a conversation like maybe a year ago where she basically said because she travels around the world a lot because of the work that she does and she basically said she was at some art gallery or something and she had noticed about how some of the the artwork that was there was from Sudan you know but there was no credit that was given to to the people of Sudan with regards to that you know and obviously there's a huge conversation around um, African culture the the you know appreciation of it versus the appropriation of it does Sudan find itself in the same sort of situation just as a nation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been to museums all around the world. Like, I've been to, you know, the Louvre, I've been to the Met, and I've seen stuff that belongs to Sudan, from the Kush Kingdom, from different types of, of dynasties that have been there in history. Mm. But the reference to Sudan is, is very vague, and at the same time, when people ask me, where you from, and I say Sudan, they're like, huh? Mm-hmm. The closest thing that could come to them is, like, the war in Darfur. Mm. And that, to me, is so extremely painful to like just completely dismantle an entire country based on that little period of time in their history. It's important, it's significant, but it cannot be the defining factor. But that's what media told people. That's what people know about Sudan. There was a war in Darfur and that's all they need to know. Mm. When Sudan comes up, that's what comes in their mind automatically. So yes, I feel like we do have a lot of things all around the world and a lot of art, a lot of even like diaspora, our people, our people all around the world. But how many of them say that they're Sudanese? And yeah. that's kind of like, for me, that's been the only identity I've ever had. Mm. People think I have other passports, but I actually don't. <laughs> wow. And that was always my identity. I, that's the only place I come from. And like, even though I've lived, okay, so 30 now, I've lived, say, like 23, 24 years outside of Sudan. But that's the only place I knew. And that was like, I was going out of Sudan, mm. going out of it. So it's just, you know, it's, my bond was always there, 
But that didn't mean that, like, I knew what was going on, but that I grasped everything that was to the news about my identity. But it's there. And I wonder if everyone has that. Just like I wonder if all the artifacts and museums have that stamp of being from Sudan. Because a lot of things get lost in translation when we move them from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Especially when people don't have agency over them. Mm-hmm. So if we have a solid program between our archaeological institution or you know authority or whatever and the Metropolitan Museum, then maybe it will be a more formal relationship. But if it's just someone dealing in artifacts who ends up selling it to the Met, well, obviously, Sudan's not going to get uh, mentioned mm. anywhere, right? It's just going to look similar. And these guys have beautiful installations. Mm. But people just think it's somewhere big around the world and who cares where it is from. And that's really painful. And it takes away from who we are and what we've become over the years and what we've had and what we could have had, maybe. Mm. Sure, that is quite painful, especially, you know, when you look at a continent that we live in, Africa, that we're from, where basically our culture is just about everything. Like, it's it's such a huge part of who we are as a people. Hopefully, one day, somebody will actually just go out and, you know, I wish that there could be, like, some sort of, like, um, you know, investigation or that sort of thing where people go to all the museums and everything, like, around the world and everything that is from Africa, you know, that is not being properly credited or any of that. It just needs what? to be either returned or needs to be properly labeled you know sometimes it's just putting a label in the right way you know and the story just needs needs to be told in a different way without a doubt you know that's how i feel when you were speaking about that i think that somebody should launch that sort of investigation maybe you guys should do it you guys should (laughs) you should find people wow that's a huge speech for us but i mean we could start that conversation and say hey our museum is laying Mm. you know open it's great it's fantastic you know it could have some improvements obviously um, I've been to the Kampala Museum last week, actually, and we got a museum in Kampala. And I really like it. I, I really like it. And I feel like it's the same with the Khartoum, the Sudan Museum, the Sudan National Museum yeah. in Khartoum. It's like, it could be better, mm. but it can only be better if all these things come back to us. Yeah. Because without them, we have hollow spaces. Yeah. But, While but, our stuff are being, you know, ex- exhibited elsewhere. Yeah. Beautiful exhibitions. I mean, I, I don't know how to tackle this, honestly, but, like, I think that, okay, forget artifacts. Let's talk about, like, fashion. Mm. Um, I just saw that the Victoria's Secret runway mm. um, show that was, it's like, a big deal every year. This year, they used some prints and some bead designs and some accessories that are from the Denka tribe in mm. South Sudan, mm. from the Maasai tribe wow. in, in Uganda, and from so many different, like, African tribes, basically. And the first thing that came to mind is, did they mention this somewhere? Because I'm pretty sure they didn't. Mm. I actually saw that's, that and that's I, yeah. The creation of our culture. That's yeah. what it's watered down. It looks different. It looks kind of like vaguely like us. Yeah. But at the same time, it becomes a completely different thing. And it's fine to, you know, get inspired and then take it somewhere else. Mm. But it's not fine to copy and paste and say that this was yours. Yeah. It's because the Denka beat corset hasn't had enough visibility. Mm. doesn't mean that you know you can claim to it yeah no i agree with that i mean because i had we had just actually had the conversation around the victoria's secret fashion show and what you said is actually so important did they actually mention it because if you're from the continent if you're african you could look and you could be like oh that's ours but if you're not and you're from the rest of the world and nobody's actually said it then it just looks like something that is from the world to africa versus the other way around so i think that's definitely a conversation yeah. that needs to be had held and I think that you guys are probably one of the you know the
the platforms it needs to do that, you know, so that's amazing. But now um, I also wanted just to go back into running a digital um, magazine in, you know, from Sudan, you know, I mean, I, I think I heard somewhere that you guys had challenges where you didn't actually have access to some of the marketing tools with Google or Facebook, you know, because they don't target Sudan. Can you talk to us about just if you can maybe explain that a bit more and also just with regards to, you know, how it is that you're trying to monetize um, your your platform? Absolutely. So these are really important points to us because we're at this point. So what, what I'm doing in Kuala is actually was kind of doing research on whether we can expand here. Mm-hmm. Because to us, the, the premise that we exist upon, which is we want to challenge and change the narrative about Sudan and South Sudan, is actually applicable to a lot of places around the world, mm-hmm. especially in Africa. We are the poster child for corruption and poverty and war and AIDS and whatever it is that's negative. That's that's yeah. We're supposed to children that. And that has been success in colonial times, post-colonial times, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, it's, just, it's been there. And we're like, I'm from this generation that's kind of like, not only just tired of it, but like, I just want to do something. Like, I am not that person, my friends are not that person, my peers, my colleagues, we're not these people. So, the whole point about expansion is you have to have a viable product that can be expanded and can be taken to different markets. Mm-hmm. So for us in Sudan and South Sudan, um, first of all, when I... When, I, when we started Nigeria, I moved back to Sudan. Um, I haven't been living there as, as an adult except for about like a year. Mm. And then I moved there and I was completely blind to the whole thing. But that was an advantage because I didn't have those precepts um, kind of notions where you say, okay, I'm not going to try this, I'm not going to try this. No, it's like, I want to try everything and whatever works, we'll take it and adopt it and adapt it and move on with it. And that was how we kept on going and testing and doing different things. And when you're doing that in the scope of being under economic sanctions where you cannot deal with a lot of American companies. Um, so we come out in Silicon Valley right before that was in California and everything I knew was digital. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have to take that out of the equation and just use the bare minimum social media, digital mm-hmm. publishing tools. And then it's like, okay, so how do you expand with the bare minimum? And that was the challenge for us, but it's the one thing that made us so strong because it made our content strong because everyone who walks through the door, figuratively speaking, um, <laughs> like or comments or tweets or retweets, they come on their own. We don't reach out to them. Um, I wish we could follow everyone around us. That's what you do when you boost posts, when you advertise. So we couldn't do that for Sudan specifically. We could do stuff for them, but let's say, like, I mean, internet penetration is not that high in South Sudan, so we're talking more of the diaspora in South Sudan. Uh, But that that was something. That was good. It was a, a way to test if these posted posts would work. Mm-hmm. But for Sudan, we were completely blacked out. And that was a huge challenge because there's a lot of people on Facebook, there's a lot of people on Twitter. Sure. We bring them in. It's the constant diversification that got us going. Mm-hmm. We went from just essays to essays on photo essays, from photo essays to videos. Now we're producing videos, we're producing photo essays, we're adding new categories every single month. And it, that's, that's the hustle. That's how you expand and you get creative and you break barriers because you want to reach a certain goal. Mm. All these limitations, you kind of like elbow your way around them. And I think that's the fun part mm. about having such an enterprise in Sudan. It's a digital enterprise. It's very hard to have that, but it makes it a lot more interesting. Mm. It's challenging because you're forced to be creative. And so far, it worked out for us. I like that. So and you get... kind of how we Sorry, continue. Yeah, so this is kind of how we've been operating. This is how yeah. we've navigated the 
the limitations with um, expansion, but not organic. So when it comes to our operational model, so we have a, a hybrid model, but it's usually called a hybrid model. <laughs> our platform is independent, it's non-profit, um, no one influences our content. We nice. follow digital news, digital trends religiously, and we figure out what are people interested in. And that's, you know, that's where it comes to like, what kind of content can we create that would be interesting to people, that would be something that is worth archiving. Because essentially what we're doing is we're documenting mm. what happened down in South Sudan in the creative and the cultural movement now. So that five years down the road, there's something to look back on. And I think that's one of our biggest problems across the, the, not just Africa, but a lot of different parts of the world that are not really using um, digital tools to really document and archive their history and their whatever happened in current affairs. They're letting other people do the speaking for them, mm. and they're all over the place. They're not aggregated. They're kind of fragmented. So that's our role, to just kind of break that cycle of being fragmented, aggregate things, keep it cultural, keep it interesting, keep it fun, keep it multi-dimensional um, and multi-media focused. So what we do is, so our platform is independent, but we have a certain level of skills that have not been um, utilized for a lot of people because of the different limitations that are in the market. Mm. So we're picking up kind of like jobs where we kind of consult, where we offer experience with content creation, with market research for companies that want to go digital and still haven't found you know, other companies doing that work that we do. Um, our platform is our main strength and everything we do for everyone else, we practice on our platform first. Wow. And that's how we get by. And you know what's so amazing about that? Um, I'm not. I'm sure that you guys realize that you're basically, you know, creating the footprint for how to deal, um, how to work within in social media and all of that, and the digital space in Sudan. So you're basically at the forefront of it, which is amazing. You know, as you're learning, you're gonna have the blueprint of, you know, this is how you go about it. So I think that's awesome. I like that, Omnia. Thank yeah. you so much for spending time with us. And yeah, I'll catch you on Twitter. And just everywhere else. Yes, and <laughs> thanks for having me. No, thank you so much. And congratulations on, on just telling a different, contemporary, fun, you know, like energetic story about Sudan. I definitely, it's, it's on my list of one of my next countries to go and visit. So congratulations on thank all your success. You. <laughs> all right. Please do come. Definitely. Do come. We'll stay in touch. Enjoy Uganda. Thanks. So thanks bye. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.